so God decided to throw us a little bit of a curveball, so we had to call an audible this morning. Chad is at home sick. Um, I think it's something he probably ate last night, but he's been uh, calling dinosaurs since about 11 o'clock. So pray for him this morning. You know, I like to be a little more prepared when I know I'm preaching on a Sunday morning, but you know what? God's word is enough. And I can tell you this morning, when we got the call, about 6.30, uh, that Chad wasn't going to make it in today. I spent a little time in prayer. I get ready real quick, got to get to the church, got to prepare a message, go out to my Jeep. It wouldn't start. Pulled my wife's car next to the Jeep. Let me jump it off real quick. Her hood is stuck, it won't open. So there I am on the back of my wife's car waiting for Jim to come by and help me get to church this morning. Uh, Bible open, computer open, you know, and if you know me, you would have known years ago, there probably would have been a hole through the car window. Uh, A lot of words probably would have been said, but there was a peace. And this morning we're going to talk about prayer and the power of prayer. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to uh, Matthew uh, chapter 6. It's something we're all very familiar with if you've been around church, really even in, you see it in, in mainstream media. But we're going to open this morning with the Lord's Prayer. So if you would stand with me as we read along on the screen. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 9. Pray then in this way, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. You may be seated. It's no secret that we are very busy in our lives. The pressure comes more uh, evident to produce more, to be more effective, to get ahead, things that are just relentless. The trouble is that this relentless pressure that inflates our outer lives to such extents we almost have no inner life left, no place for God. The result of this kind of lifestyle leaves us very dark. And why? Because without a place for God, we cannot live godly lives. William Carey, a late seven, uh, he was a missionary in the 1700s, a Baptist missionary. He was quoted as saying this about prayer. Prayer, fervent, believing prayer, lies at the root of all personal godliness. If Carey was right about the link between prayer and godliness, as I personally believe he was, then the wonder, increasingly regularly hearing the tragic breakdowns between what professing Christians say and what they do. Would Carrie still feel the same way if he were alive today with access to all the technology we have, you know, computers, the internet, social media, libraries? I, I, you know, something I'd like to, for all of us to think about for a moment. You know, a few moments ago when we heard the announcements, you know, we talked about the fall festival as we have for weeks. Um, you know, this will be a time for, you know, special community outreach provided by our church. How was your reaction? 
Did you immediately have or think to yourself maybe too much or even better things to do? Maybe you don't want to go and serve, but you will because you don't want to have others think less of you. What if I were to announce right now that this coming Friday night at 7.30, we're going to hold a two-hour prayer meeting. On the subject of prayer, corporate prayer, Leonard Ravenhill is quoted as saying, let 20% of the choir members fail to turn up for rehearsal and the choir master is offended. Let 20% of the church members show up for a prayer meeting and the pastor is elated. We're talking about prayer this morning. Looking back at the verses we read together just a few moments ago here in Matthew, the Lord's Prayer. Something I would venture to say everyone is familiar with or has heard at some point in their lives. Contextually here in Matthew, this prayer falls along this whole string of Jesus' teachings that begin in chapter 5 with the Beatitudes. But Luke records that Jesus used the same model of prayer in another setting. In Luke 11.1, we read that Jesus was praying in a certain place. And after listening to Jesus pray, his disciples asked him to teach him, them how to pray. And, and Jesus responded by giving them this same model prayer, Luke 11, 1 through 4. It happened while Jesus was praying in a certain place, after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples. And then he said to him, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each our daily bread. And forgive us of our sins. For we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. How many of you think about being close enough to hear Jesus praying that you would, you would hear or want to pull a lesson or two? You know, take notice here that the disciples didn't ask Jesus, you know, how to preach or teach. Hearing Jesus pray made them aware that there was a need in the practice of prayer. And they, they asked, Lord, teach us to pray. The wonderful thing here is that Jesus didn't respond to the disciples' request as something ridiculous or meaningless. And how do we know this? Well, we can go to Hebrews 4, in verses 15 through 16. For we do, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. Jesus knew from the personal experience of living in the flesh and that the devil, things that were aligned to keep prayer out of the lives of Christians. Jesus is sympathetic. You know, he's our high priest. We ask such things in absolute confidence. And so he, Jesus, treated their request with utmost love and respect. Being fully man, Jesus thoroughly understood everything there about the opposition to prayer. But being fully God, he grasped its importance in each believer's life, in life of the church and in the world. You see, Jesus, for him, it, prayer was not something he just simply did if he had time. He knew it was much more than that, and that it was much more important for us. When reading through and studying the Gospels, it's hearing God's Word that makes me believe that Jesus started each and every day with prayer, showing us this importance of prayer. He often stopped everything and, and to take his disciples aside and pray. Even when the disciples thought that ministry was on a roll or things were going great or it shouldn't be uh, you know, interrupted. We tend to think of prayer as a spare tire. We're glad it's there, 
but we hope we never have to use it. Instead of being something we do every day like breathing or eating or walking, talking, going to work, driving, you know, break in the case of emergency. It's right to think of prayer in times of emergency, though. We need to, be pr- need to be prayerful for common daily bread. We need the fellowship of prayer, moment by moment, to be delivered from evil. For the believer, prayer is one of the greatest gifts our Lord has given us outside of salvation. Paul was somebody who understood the power and importance of prayer. Prayer was a part of Paul's life, and in it, he should be, that it should be the cornerstone of our lives as Christians. How, we really, how are we really to be good Christians and not pray regularly, wholeheartedly, if not humbly? It's just like you cannot have a good marriage if you don't talk to your wife or talk to your husband. You cannot be a good parent if you don't talk to your children. Prayer is the pipeline to communicate between God and His people because God and those who love Him between you and between Him. Pray with persistence. Two of the most instructive parables Jesus ever told on prayer, one in Luke 18 and one in Luke 11, both have to do with the persistence and not giving up in prayer. Luke 18 says, now that he was telling them a parable to show them that at all times they ought to pray and not to lose heart. Luke Luke 11.9 says, Ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened to you. Each of those verbs in the present tense, you know, active, voice, these things could be translated. Keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. Jesus didn't want us to give up in prayer. He instructs us to be persistent. And there is a difference between persistent prayer and long prayer. A person who is persistent in prayer does not necessarily have to pray for a long time, but persistence means not giving up. Some people give up easy. They quit because they don't feel like praying. Circumstances aren't going their way. The joy is gone. The feeling is gone. We are not to live by our feelings, but to live by our commandments of our Lord, who tells us to pray without ceasing. Be persistent in prayer. Pray with passion. If you are persistent in something, it stands for reason that you are passionate about it. Paul says that we should be vigilant or watchful. This describes passionate prayer. Jesus was passionate about his prayer life. It was something he was always doing. It was not only his regular habit, but it was resort in every emergency, however slight or serious. When perplexed, Jesus prayed. When hard-pressed by work, he prayed. When hungry for fellowship, he found it in prayer. If tempted, he prayed. If criticized, he prayed. If fatigued in body and wearied in spirit, He had recourse to one thing, an unfailing habit of prayer. Prayer brought him unmeasured power at the beginning and kept kept flow unbroken and undiminished. There was no emergency, no difficulty, no necessity, no temptation that he would not yield to the power of prayer. Every time we see Jesus praying, we see him praying with passion. In Luke 6, 12, he called his disciples and he spent the whole night in prayer. Passionate prayer gives direction. In Matthew 26, 39, in the Garden of Gethsemane, going a little farther, he fell down and he prayed, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. It's 
only through passionate prayer that we can pour our hearts out to God. As he hung on the cross, a life that is lived in passionate prayer will enable us to maintain that high spirit even in the most difficult circumstances. Jesus always prayed with passion because he knew who it was he was talking to. And he knew that that prayer to the Father is a powerful thing and not something to be taken lightly. Prayer from the heart, that's what passionate prayer is. It's prayer from the heart, not just from the head. And that's how Jesus taught us to pray. Not only through his example, but specifically through his teachings. Again, in Matthew 6, in the Sermon on the Mount, as Jesus instructed us in prayer, it's here that we find the Lord's Prayer. Just before the Lord's Prayer began, what does he say? When you pray, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do. What has happened to the Lord's Prayer? People repeat it as if it's some kind of magic or mantra that will bless them or move them to hear them. They're going with what is exactly is instructing us to do, not to do with it. The Gentiles, when they prayed, tried through the religious repetitions with their chants, with their mantras, to call forth and impress their gods. That is not what we are called to do when we're in a relationship. James 5.16 says, The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. We are to pray with thankfulness. Paul tells us in Ephesians 5.20 that thanksgiving is a natural result of being filled with and walking under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Philippians 4.6 tells us that to not be anxious for anything, but in everything we should pray, giving thanks as we make our petitions known to God. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 tells us that giving thanks at all times is God's will for us in Jesus Christ. Colossians 3.17 says that believers... Everything we say or do should be done in the name of the Lord, Jesus, as we give thanks to him. Expressing gratitude does several things. It, artic it articulates dependence, it demonstrates relationship, and it communicates gratitude and proper attitudes. It generates humility. Pray, making intercessions. Intercessory prayer is basically praying for others that it's praying for God's will to be done in the lives of other people. Intercessory prayers characterize the prayer life that Jesus had. You know, in Luke 22, I've prayed for you, Jesus tells Peter, that your faith may not fail. In Luke 23, going on in verse 34, on the cross as he was being crucified, Jesus was praying for others when he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus prayed intercessory prayers. And he was continually praying for others. In understanding the power of prayer, Paul wanted to be sure the Colossian Christians understood what it was that they were to pray for. He wanted them to pray with specific purpose. He wanted them to pray, pray for him, asking God to open the door so that Paul could share the gospel. It was the gospel that Paul lived for. It was the preaching of the gospel that landed Paul in prison. You know, if you go back through Philippians and read, you know, that whole letter written from prison. It was the preaching of the gospel that was always on the forefront of Paul's mind. You see, Paul wanted God's kingdom expanded. Like Jesus, he was concerned about others, about their souls, their salvation, their sanctification. It is important to note that Paul was not asking them to pray for his legal situation or his incarceration, but that he would be released from prison. He was asking to pray that he will have the opportunity to lead someone else to Jesus Christ. This is something we should be passionately prayerful as Christians. 
You see, Paul wanted their, prayer, wanted their prayers to be in accordance with God's will, not simply greedy desires of someone living for the world. How many of our prayers are directed at the expansion of his eternal kingdom rather than us praying for things in our own lives? If we were to chronicle our prayers, knowing how much time we spent praying for different things, how much of our time we, do we spend praying for our families, praying for their health, for the health and well-being of loved ones, for friends, how much time do we spend praying for lost souls who are headed to eternal separation from the Father? You see, when we pray for others, when we pray for God's work to be done, for His will to be accomplished, not our own, He will begin to use us and grow us in ways we never thought possible. Sometimes, this hit me hard, sometimes we can't think that we can become what God wants us to become because we're too focused on ourselves and not others. It's when we pray for others that we become more like Jesus. And as we become more like Jesus, God will grow us more, show us more, and enable us more. And in that intercessory prayers, we should always pray for others, pray for salvation. When talking about God's will, prayer forces us to wait. Prayer, part of prayer is always, you know, waiting for the will of God. And God has three answers, yes, no, and wait. Yes and no are no-brainers. Waiting is tough. John MacArthur is quoted as saying, there is a tension between boldness and waiting on God's will. That tension resolved by being persistent, yet accepting God's answer when it finally comes. Instead of getting frustrated that God is not on your schedule, prayer forces us to be on God's timetable. Prayer opens our eyes spiritually. It enables us to get in touch with what God is doing in our lives and how He's doing it. Prayer opens our eyes. It enables us to see what He's doing, to see these things that we're blinded to without prayer. That's because prayer is communication with the Father. We speak to God. He answers us, speaking to us, showing us. Prayer aligns our heart with God's heart. It shifts our will to align with His. It's adjustment. It's alignment. It's setting our thoughts, our emotions, our actions on Him, on the Father. Prayer enables us to move forward. It enables us to engage God, engage God's people to enlarge His kingdom. So this morning, what does your prayer life look like? Are you persistent in prayer? Are your prayers passionate or are they obligatory? Are your prayers filled with intensity and fervor or are they weak and timid and lacking faith? What about gratitude? How much time have you spent thanking God for what you have instead of praying for what you don't? Who are you praying for? Is there anyone in your life that you're praying for to get saved? Is there a burden on your heart to see God's kingdom expanded? To see God's will done in your life, done in others? Before we close this morning, I want to take a few moments and we're just going to pray. Pray what's on your heart in place, humbly, to the Father. So I ask that every eye close, every head bow. And we're just going to take a few moments and we're going to pray.